Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. Uh, maybe on the way here, your priority was where can I get coffee? Maybe that was your priority. Maybe you woke up and the first thing you thought about was how quickly can I make my coffee? Or maybe how quickly can I get in the car to go buy coffee that someone else made for me? I don't know what your process is. I remember the very first time I had a, a sip of coffee. It was disgusting. I hated it. I don't know if that was your first experience. I had a drink of coffee. I remember this was like right as I started college because everyone said, oh, man, once you start college, you're going to drink coffee. You're going to be up all night working on homework. And I was like, if that's what it tastes like, I will end college early. <laughs> I will just drop out because I'm not in for that. And so I remember having it, and I just like – I couldn't even finish the cup. And everyone's like, put, put cream and sugar and all stuff. I was like, why would you intentionally – drink something that you have to doctor up with other things. It just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, have you heard of Mountain Dew? Like, that does the same job. Uh, like, that, I just was so flabbergasted by this. So I just was like, yeah, that's not, that's not my thing. Now, fast forward, it's 2020, and I was at a, a coffee shop with a friend. We're meeting. We finished our meeting, and he goes, I got to ask you, why don't you drink coffee? And I was like, dude, have you ever, like, I love the smell of coffee, but do you, I can't believe you drink this stuff. Like, it is so bitter. It's sour. It's, like, acidic. I just don't get behind it. I don't understand. And we're walking out of this coffee shop, and this barista hears me. He hears me say this. And he goes, hold up a second. Wait a second. He's like, what do you mean? You like the smell of coffee, but you don't like the taste of coffee? I was like, exactly. He's like, let me, let me do something for you. I'm going to pull you an espresso shot, and trust me, John, this will taste like coffee smells. And I was like, okay, yeah, right. I literally told him, don't waste your coffee on me. Like, this is not happening. So he, he finishes pulling the espresso shot. I smell the aromas. He sits it down in front of me, and he's like, try this. And I take one sip, and I take two sips, and I take three sips, and I take four sips until that two-ounce espresso shot is gone. He's like, what do you think? I was like, that was good. That was, that was really good. Uh, I don't know what you did there, but that was good. And so that started my coffee journey. That started my relationship with coffee just three years ago. Um, God prepared me because he knew I was about to have two kids right after that journey began, and I uh, now require I just figured, like, 2020, the world's burning down. Might as well get hooked on caffeine. Like, might as well get addicted to something. Maybe this is the safest thing. Now, it's funny because in our house, like, coffee is kind of this morning ritual. So Lindsay every morning gets up and, and grinds the beans, makes the coffee, all this stuff. And so Lennon has really taken interest in this, our two-year-old. She's like, I want to try coffee. And so one day we gave her, like, a sip of iced coffee, and she just immediately was like her face repelled. And she just asked, why, why so sour, Daddy? Why so sour? And I was like, I know. That's what I thought too. Um, and so – it's funny, though, like what, what struck me about that whole thing, so three years later, uh, I drink coffee multiple times a week. 
multiple times. And it, it fascinates me about my own life, and this is probably true of your journey with coffee as well. It's amazing how used you get to that sour, acidic, almost bitter taste, and you, you start to crave it. Like you start to wake up thinking, how quickly can I get this stuff in my system? How quickly can I get to the near Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, whatever? Like it is such a cultural thing in our society. It's amazing that how used to it we get. Like I, don't, I do not want to show you my debit card statement and how many times between Lindsay and I there's a coffee shop on that statement. Like it's amazing how much money I've spent on fancy coffee this week. Like it, is, it, it blows my own mind. And we're not talking about coffee today unless you really want to. We can keep going. Uh, but what we are talking about is how we do relationships together, how you do life together with other people, and why the body of Christ, this community of Jesus, is essential to following him and living into the destiny and purpose that he's given. And here's what I know. When we turn relationships into a product we consume, it sours them. When we turn relationships and community and church into something that we just receive from, just like we go to the store, we buy a cup of coffee, we receive their good, we receive the drink they made, it actually ends up souring the community. And what I want to say to us today, I don't know where you are in your relig- like religious journey, I don't know where you are in your journey of faith, if you're watching online, maybe you don't even have a church, like here's what I, I believe, we are far too complacent with sour relationships. We are far too okay with our community, our family, our friendships, our roommates, our, our class. We're far too okay with relationships that aren't, aren't exactly the way Jesus longs for them to be. And this whole process starts, this, this, lit, this process I just walked through literally starts in Genesis 3. Like right after Eve consumes the fruit, it sours the relationship. Not just between her and God and Adam and God but between themselves and ultimately our community and even our own relationships reap the sour benefits. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Genesis 3, and then we're going to John 10 and 14. So flag one of those, but if you have your phone, go to Genesis 3 first. And I want to read this over us, Genesis 3. And in verse 4, which we talked about this last week, but in verse 4, Literally, the serpent enters the conversation and says this. He, he gives them a lie. He says, if you eat this fruit, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the promise. That's the product, if you will. Here's what's in front of you. This fruit contains the knowledge of good and evil. You should eat it. You should consume it. And listen to what happens in Eve's mind. This is verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Does that not sound like the first greatest advertising campaign ever? It's desirable. It's going to give you something you want. It's going to taste good. You can consume it, and it will benefit you. That's what's in it for Eve. That's what's in it for Eve. That's what's in it in the serpent's lie in the Garden of Eden. And I think in this moment, just like if any of us was in that first kind of temptation in the Garden of Eden, like the serpent won Eve over because it awakened in her, you see this in the text, a desire for more, a desire to consume. And then it supplies her with that product 
to fulfill the desire. That's why I think it's, again, the greatest advertising campaign ever. It's like, you want this? I'm going to give it to you. All you have to do is consume the fruit. All you have to do is bind to the lie that it will satisfy your need. Can I tell you a question that sours your relationships? It will sour your marriage. It will sour your friendships. It will sour your church experience. You ask it of me sometimes, and I ask it of you sometimes. Here's the question. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? The second you begin asking that question as the primary driver of your human relationships and community, the second you lose a vision for what true Christian community is supposed to be about, what what true following Jesus is supposed to be about with other people. Because here's the contrast. Jesus sacrificed his life for our freedom, our rescue, and salvation. That is the good news of Jesus. He's done that on our behalf. He has sacrificed. And the scary news of that is this. Here's the truth. You cannot consume and sacrifice at the same time. You can't do it. You can't consume relationships, consume community, consume the church, and sacrifice for those relationships, sacrifice for that community, and sacrifice for the church, sacrifice for the kingdom of God. You can't do them at the same time. You can't be a consumer and someone who sacrifices and lays down their life at the same time. It's just not possible. And so I want to take you to literally a teaching of Jesus. I think this perfectly illustrates our role in the community, the way that we participate in this thing that Jesus is building on the earth. If you go with me to John 10, so scroll over or flip over to the Gospel of John. Jesus is telling parables, and in John 10, listen to this this parable he shares. He's teaching about himself, and here's what he says. I am the good, say this word with me if you got it. I'm the good what? Shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for who? The sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me, what's the reason? It's that I lay down my what? Say this with me. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This teaching Jesus drops in the middle of this Jewish community. It says that they, it divided them. They were split in half. They were polarized by the words that Jesus shared. A couple things to point out. Number one, it says that Jesus is the good shepherd. You are not. Jesus is a good shepherd. I'm not. You're not. We're not. Jesus is the good shepherd. And what does it say? Good shepherds lay down their lives for their sheep. We know this. We've talked about this uh, in different series that we preach here. Like shepherding is not a super romantic, beautiful job. It's very, very time-consuming, hard you get taken advantage of by sheep. I mean, <laughs> what's worse than that? Like, they're not smart, but they take advantage of you. They're trying to manipulate situations. They're not wise animals. And you're giving everything, everything to serve these animals and to make sure that they produce what they were set on earth to produce. Like, that's your job all of the time. And Jesus says, you know what I'm like? I'm like a good shepherd. I lay down my life. No one's forcing me. It's not on my job description. 
I'm laying my life down for the sheep. And here's the thing. I read that text, and I'm like, okay, here's the model. Maybe you've done this. Here's the model. I'm supposed to be a mini Jesus shepherd. Anyone else ever read it that way? It's like, okay, we're all under shepherds as a word. Or we're, we're the shepherd apprentice version. Or like the shepherd in training. That's what we are. But that's not what Jesus says. He says there's only one shepherd. So a way to think about this, I lived in New Zealand, okay? So there's a four-to-one sheep-to-human ratio in New Zealand. That's a lot of sheep poop. I just got to say it. It's a lot of sheep stuff going on in rural New Zealand. So we drive around, and you just see sheep everywhere, almost so many that you're like, does anyone, is there a shepherd anywhere? <laughs> like there's just sheep everywhere running across the road, running in and out of pastures, over highways. It's crazy. And so we're there, and I discovered something. Any good shepherd has a group, a pack, maybe at least one, amazing sheepdogs. They have a sheepdog. So you may have seen this, right? Like there's a sheepdog that runs parallel or right against these flocks of sheep that would move throughout. And in New Zealand, there's sheepdogs everywhere out in the pastures because they're making sure these are corralled around. You may have seen these in old Western movies or something like this is still happening to this day. And I begin to think about that. I said, I think that is actually the role we are all called to play in community with one another. Not to be shepherds. Trying to be Jesus is so frustrating. I don't know if you've ever tried it. Trying to be the good shepherd is exhausting. But, but being a sheepdog, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can figure that out. I can, I can submit myself to that. And so Jesus says later, this is John 13. If you really flip over, listen to what he says. This is verse 34. 13:34. A new command I give you, love one another. Be sheepdogs for one another. Point to the good shepherd for one another. Love one another. And this is this is the key. This is the hinge point of this verse. As I have loved you as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are to my my disciples if you love one another jesus says that's how the world knows that we are real that's how the world knows that this community of jesus buildings unlike any other community no sports team no club no travel, no travel, no vacation experience, no retirement community, no small group even can replicate what Jesus is trying to build in this community. But see, we approach community just like we do a fast food restaurant. We approach it like a consumer. Again, we ask the question, what's in it for me? Now, a consumer views relationships, the people in their life, and I've been here, views relationships through the lens of compromise. You give me a little bit, I'll give you a little bit. Like in marriage, that's so easy to do, right? We, Lindsay and I talk about like the invisible scorecard, right? You go through a week, you're like, well, here's all the things I did, here's all the things you did, and John, you're not quite there. Like you're not quite to the level that you're supposed to be, and it's so easy. And I do the same with her. I do the same with all of my relationships. I do this with my kids. Like we all live with that invisible consumer scorecard it's compromise what am i getting out of this if you're a christian that is not how we view relationships the way we view relationships is through the lens instead of sacrifice 
how much can I lay down for this person? How much can I serve this community? How much can I give? How much is Jesus inviting me to lay down my life for the sake of other people and the kingdom of God on the earth? That's the invitation for all of us. And I did a little bit of digging on this. I tried to read, okay, what does like modern psychology say about all this? Is, because it can't just be a bunch of crazy people in the church that think that this is actually how life works, right? I mean, hopefully there's other people who are finding this same thing out. And so I, I found some stuff. I'd love to read you. I want to read you this quote from Brene Brown. She's a famous psychologist, podcaster. This is what she says. She says, in relationships, I have to start by debunking one of the worst myths in the world. And that is the myth that strong, lasting relationships are always 50-50, right? That's compromise. I changed it a little bit, but she says, I call BC on that. That is not Byron Center. That is not the case. And she says, strong, lasting relationships are rarely 50-50. Why? Because life does not work that way. Life doesn't work that way. She goes on. I'm pretty sure. Strong, lasting relationships happen when your partner or friend, whoever in your relationship with, can pony up that 80% when you are down to 20. And that your partner also knows that when things fall apart for her and she only has 10% to give, you can show up with your 90, even if it's for a limited amount of time. Oh my goodness, that is so true. That's not just true in marriage or in friendship, that is true in the church. There are seasons where you may be like, I don't have a lot to give. And John's saying to serve, or we need to give money, or whatever the, the cause is. And I think Jesus is calling me, even in my weakness and poverty, to do that. Or even when I don't feel like doing it. Or, oh my gosh, this fall is so, so crazy. I Trust me, I get it. But Jesus' invitation is to be a sacrificial sheepdog. To, to live your life in a way that points to the good shepherd for other people. To not consume community, to be a contributor of the community. That that's what Jesus is after in the church. And I could sit here and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, that I, I resonate with that. And you may say, yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I just tell you, let me give you a breakdown of my last Sunday. This is only seven days from today. So I, I preach, I do the service, go home, welcome home Sunday's amazing. I was here for like eight plus hours. It was a full day. And Lindsay had taken the girls home and I was like, oh man, I'm driving home. And I'm like thinking in my head, I know that she is going to get how wiped I am from today. Wasn't feeling well. And I'm going to get home. And she's going to be like, you know what, John, it's been a long day. Like, go just take an hour to yourself. Go rest. Go for a run. Go get a coffee or whatever you need to do. Just go take some time. I know it's been a long day at church. So I'm driving home. And you know what she's thinking? Oh, my goodness, I'm so glad daddy's coming home. Right, because Daddy's gonna show up and be like, "Tap out, baby. Like you're good. Go take the afternoon. Go to the mall. Go go get yourself a fancy coffee. Go lay down. Go sleep in bed for a couple hours by yourself with no kids interrupting. Go do all those things." And I can't wait to get home. That garage door is gonna lift up, and he's gonna be like, "I'm here. I'm back." That's not exactly what happened. <laughs> so I walk in, and in my head, I'm like, "She's gonna get it. She's gonna understand." And she's like, all right, buddy, you're up. And I'm like, what? That's not exactly what I was anticipating here. And it's totally fair, right? I would say, I love all you. You are way easier to hang out with for eight hours than two little kids who need things all of the time. 
And so I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. And, and this particular Sunday, she had a wedding, a baby shower to go to. And so not only was I going to be home and with them, I'm flying solo on this afternoon adventure. And I'm like, I have zero. I've got like 5% in the tank right now. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to collapse or just like let these kids watch TV for the rest of the day or something. I'm just not like going to be fully engaged. And so I look at her and my eyes say, please don't go. Please don't go. And her eyes are, and she asked me the question because she's an amazing sacrificial woman. And she said, do you want me not to go? I thought about it. I was like, do I want a marriage or to be happy for two more hours? I was like, you can go, you can go. And, and it was, a, and I did not, there was no part of me, to be honest, in my flesh that wanted her to go. It was literally Christ. He was like, no, you need to, you need to sacrifice here. And I say that not to, to make myself the hero. I'm actually not the hero of this whole thing. The reminder for me was like, I, I don't have to be the good shepherd. Like I serve a shepherd whose relational tank is never at 10%, who's never down at 5%. He's never lacking, never tired, never worn out. Like there's only one shepherd, and it's not me. And that's incredibly freeing to my relationships, not just in my marriage, but in our church too. Like I am called to be a sacrificial sheepdog. Like you can't consume. I can't be a consumer and sacrifice, friends, at the same time. I'm called to lay down my life for other people, and so are you. Like, I'm actually free in my relationships because of what Jesus has done to sacrifice instead of consume. Man, that changes everything about your world when you understand that, when we get that. That's why it's so powerful in John 13. Jesus says, I want you to love one another. There's an impossible task. Love a bunch of people who you disagree with, you don't like, you don't vote like them. They don't smell good sometimes. They choose mustard over sour milk sometimes. Like, I want you to take that group of people, and I want you to love them like I love them. Impossible. None of you can do that. None, I can't do that. We can't do that. And this is the kicker. Here's the X factor. I want you to love them as I have loved you. It is out of an overflow of love that Jesus gives your life that you give that life to other people. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus you have the potential and capacity to truly love other people. Spouse, friend, small group, neighbors, kids included. As I have loved you. And that's the thing we it's so easy to mess up. Like like I I we talked about this last Sunday. I bring expectations on community all the time. I bring expectations on what a small group will be like, what Sunday morning will be like, what my marriage, my friendships will be like. But can I tell you, it's not the community. Or like suddenly having strong friendships or strong marriages or strong families or relationships. That's not really what changes us and brings us the healing that we desperately need. It's not those things. It's not the, the container. It's the channeling of Christ's love, his sacrificial love on the cross through the community, through friendship, through relationships, through our marriages that truly changes us. That's what we really want. But friends, you cannot approach those things. You will never experience that. I will never experience that if I approach those things and those relationships as a consumer. You can't consume and sacrifice at the same time. Like at, at the very best, in my marriage, I'm just a sacrificial sheepdog pointing 
back to the good shepherd over and over and over again. In my friendships, the people I love to hang out with, like at the very best, I'm a sacrificial sheepdog guiding my friends to the way of Jesus, back to the good shepherd with my girls. At the very best, I'm not a killer dad. I'm not an awesome parent. What I, the very best, I'm a sacrificial sheepdog laying my life down for them, serving them, disciplining them, caring for them, protecting them as a sacrificial sheepdog. You may think my job here is super impressive. Can I just tell you, in leading a church, leading a group of people, at the very best, I'm a sacrificial sheepdog laying my life down, not consuming, just saying, God, help me to sacrifice today. It's Monday morning. Help me to sacrifice. Help me not to view these relationships or friendships or this church as something to take and consume because ultimately that's, will, that's the thing that will sour this community that, that is created. I love what Harold Sinkbell says about this. I want to read this quote. It's a little bit long, but I want you to get this. He says this, can you grasp but what a wonder it is that the same Lord who poured out his life's blood as a ransom for souls would entrust them into your care? Can you comprehend what a miracle it is that he should put his words in your mouth to warn and rebuke, to be sure, but even more to comfort, console, forgive, and restore hearts and lives that are broken and bruised under the effects of sin? Like that, that's not one person's call that's our call. That's what we do as a result and an overflow of the love that Christ has shown us in our lives. That, that's what we all do. That's what sheepdogs do. That's what people who view life through the lens of sacrifice, not consumption and consumerism do. Like the church is a sad, sad thing when we view it as something to consume, when we view it just like we do a good restaurant or a store that you like to buy stuff from. It doesn't work that way. It, it wasn't designed to work that way. It's built around the person of Jesus, and inherently it's a sacrificial community that you're a part of, that I'm a part of. Uh, this summer, uh, I was able to join some friends, join some uh, buddies to hike around the Wonderland Trail. I shared about this uh, last month, but it's just a good story. So I'm going to share about it again. Like We traveled around this 87-mile loop uh, that kind of circumnavigates Mount Rainier, a beautiful place, one of the prettiest areas I've ever been in. And we're there, and, and we finish the hike, and you end, you start and end at the, like the main visitor center. It's a very disorienting thing. You walk in, you're like, okay, like some of these people are coming off the trail, and you can tell, and they smell like they just finished the trail, and other people are just starting, and they smell like they haven't done any steps on the trail, like you still smell Axe body spray in the air. These like young people, no one uses that anymore apparently, just me? Okay. I don't use it either, don't worry. So we, we finish our hike, and we get to the visitor center. And at the visitor center where you pick up your permits for this hike is this topographical map. It looks actually just like this. This is a picture I took at the end of this hike. And you're looking at it, and, and it has the entire Wonderland Trail, all the ups and downs. It's got the peak in the middle. It's kind of this like multidimensional map. And you can kind of relive the hike that you just did. It's incredible. It's really cool. You tra can kind of trace your fingers along all the contours of the mountain, the trail, all the stuff that you did. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of walking. Me and my friend Greg are walking along kind of around this table where this map is and kind of tracing along. Oh, we did this, and that was day one, that was day two. Oh, my gosh, you remember that climb? It was so hard. This river's washed out, whatever. 
And we're sitting there, and next to me is a group uh, that, again, smelled like they had not really done anything on the trail quite yet. And they go, oh, my gosh, that was so hard. Like, that was so tough. And I kind of overhear further and further, this group drove in from Seattle and hiked three miles on this trail. And they're done. Like, they finished their day. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, I am judging you so hard right now. <laughs> I'm judging. I did 84 more miles than you did, okay, and I'm still here. You know, like, they were just like, oh, man, we conquered this mountain, baby. That was like five kilometers, if you count it in kilometers. Like, we did that. And they were so proud, so, like, amazed by this achievement. And I remember sitting there sitting there thinking like i'm listening to them talking about this day hike like you guys don't get it you do not get it like you you should not be able to appreciate this map like you don't understand all of the journey all the sweat all the blood all the the tears on these 87 miles to get back to this place like i felt like a changed person a different person now that makes me sound really prideful once because i still have pride in my life i'm not perfect but what struck me is, and I thought about, like, you guys don't get it. You don't get it. Like, you didn't really experience the mountain just doing a, a quick three-mile day hike. Why did I feel that way? Why do I even tell you that? B- because for me, my perception, I'm looking and touching the exact same map they are. But my experience of what happened on that map is dramatically different. Like, I'd hiked around 87 miles, carried a pack, slept on the ground, did all these things that were sacrificial to to reach the goal of getting back to that visitor center complete. I've done the Wonderland Trail. And that, my friends, is the difference between going to church one time a month and leaving and being a part of a community. That's the difference. Like, there's things that you can experience and only experience when you give yourself and say, you know what, I know it's not perfect. I, maybe even this church, I know this church is things I don't like or there's preferences I don't like or there's things I don't like. But where else are you going to be a Christian? Where else are we going to experience what it means to live out of a place of sacrifice? And I just really think God's call to us in this season of our church is to contribute, not consume. It's to give ourselves to seeing zero lives unchanged, not to consume for what the church can do for us. You know, I get the question all the time, like, what's the worst, like, you're in ministry, what's the worst thing that can happen to a church? What's the worst thing? And if I flip that question, often the worst thing, the the automatic response would be the church closes, right? Like, church closes, doors, runs out of money. And the more I think about it, that is not the worst thing that can happen to a church. You know what's worse than a church closing? A church staying open that becomes a place of consumption, rather than contribution. A place where we continue to ask the question and let it destroy us, what's in it for me? Instead of asking, how much can I sacrifice? How can I be a sheepdog to the people around me? Not just my family, but even in our church. And if you want to start that journey, maybe you don't even know what that's like, and it's like, I, I don't really feel like I'm there, or I've got questions about that. Like the easiest place to go Simply to fill out a quick form. You're not going to be like chased down. We're not going to scam you. But just centergr.com slash serve. Name and email. There's a list of ways that you can serve in our church. Areas that we need you to contribute and, and we need your help. Like That's what's on the table.
And today, there's really two big opportunities before us. Uh, we need help in Center Kids. We have an amazing Center Kids ministry. But we've been in a season of transition. We just need to, we need like three or four people this weekend to be like, I can help with that once a month. I can do that. It, I'm not going to say it's easy because it's not, but it's important. I'm not going to pretend like it's easy, but it's so important. It's so vital. It, it takes sacrifice, but it's rewarding. Center Kids is one. The second one is our hand-to-hand ministry. When I started, we kind of just basically explored this partnership with hand-to-hand, and I was like, I don't know what it's going to be like. I sat down with my friend Charlie, who's here, and just said, like, I think this is what God's calling us to do. I'm not sure what it looks like. And we started out as like 40 or 50 kids at one school, and that number has basically tripled in the, in the last couple years, which is a sad problem, but we also get to be a part of the solution. There's over 65,000 kids in West Michigan who go home after school and don't have food on the table. They're not sure where they're going to eat. And we can help. We can be a part of that. And we have 140-plus kids in our care that we're taking ownership for, we're taking responsibility for, not like out there somewhere. Like, you live next to these kids. You work. You play. You hang out next to these families. And we get to serve in that way. You're going to hear more about that kind of at the end of the service as we wrap up. But I just want to ask you, maybe it's in those areas, maybe it's something else. Where is God calling you to sacrifice? Where is he calling you to be a sheepdog? To point to him with your life. To point to him with your sacrifice. To point to him with your energy and your attention, your finance, your family, whatever the thing is that you have. And I want to close this service by just kind of acknowledging that that this is something that we could easily listen to and not respond to. We could easily, and I could do this, I could easily say, okay, that's great. Yeah, I want to be part of a church that's sacrificial. I want to be a church that contributes. We should all do that. We all nod our heads. And not to look at my own life and say, okay, maybe I feel like I'm at a 20% in the tank. But I'm called to sacrifice, not consume. I'm called to not ask what's in it for me, but what's in it for for the kingdom of God. I could do that. I can help with that. I could say a little longer and serve one more time. Like, what, what is the, the call? Again, it is not a call to do more. Don't hear that. The call is to reflect the love that Christ has given you. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. So what I'd love to do is just pray for us before we close and worship. And then we'll share more about next steps in just a minute. So, Father, we surrender ourselves to you again. We say, Holy Spirit, thank you for your willingness and your commitment to show the love of Christ in our lives. Thank you, God. I just As I think about the people in this room, the people watching online who have given, who sacrificed, who have served, who said, you know what? There is something worth doing that's much bigger than my own story, much bigger than my own life that had gotten caught up in the vision of seeing zero needs among us. Zero lives truly unchanged by Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for that. I just say, God, we honor those people. But more than that, we ask, would you make every single one of us a contributor this season? It is so easy, God, to, to, to approach things through the lens of a consumer, and it's killing us. We ask, Jesus, replace that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. We consecrate ourselves to you, our church to you, our marriages, our families, our singleness, our friendships to you, our our teams to you. 
conversations to you. God, it's on your name. It's in the cross alone that we place trust and identity, and that's where real change happens. That's where real healing can happen through our relationships. And we just ask, God, do that in us. Do that in us. You are welcome to do that work in this place. We love you and surrender all this in Jesus' name. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com slash new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.